When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hewitt Home. I'm Tracy Koga. This is the third Asian Heritage Symposium being held in Winnipeg's beautiful Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Today we'll be discussing ideas and also ways that we can build bridges towards healing. I'll sit down with a keynote speaker, Emily Nicholas, Senator Vivian Poi, and the founder of Asian Heritage Society Manitoba, Art Mickey. But first, we go to the keynote speaker herself, Emily Nicholas, who talks a lot about not only her lived experience, but also sharing with others. In Haitian culture, when we start uh, speaking, the speaker says honor and the crowd answers respect. So I'm going to do that. Honor. Respect. Honor. Respect. Thank you. So my father's from Haiti, right? And Haiti uh, is where Christopher Columbus first landed. Um, and so it's, um, when you're from, you have a Caribbean background, uh, understanding the intersection of specifically black and indigenous histories is very, very different than if you're just taking it from a Kenyan perspective. Like it's, there's a lot more people I find that are talking about that and thinking about that there and in Colombia and in Brazil maybe than, than, than in Canada for a whole bunch of very complex uh, reasons and um, it's, um, it creates, I don't want to say frustration, but sometimes it's like, our, because of that, since Christopher Columbus and like in, when New France uh, was created, when Samuel de Champlain arrived, you started to have black and indigenous people also enslaved together, right, in Quebec and in Ontario. So our, 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 I guess what I'm saying is that black indigenous history are as old as black white history and, and indigenous white histories. They're as old and in some ways they're as foundational. It's just that who has time to actually go deeper? Uh, and there's some places in the Americas where that's happening in North America, I would say in Florida with the Seminole and, 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 and New Orleans as well. There's groups that where that, you know, those mix have been more, 
uh, forefront of mind, and people have been thinking about that more, but I'm starting to see it actually more. And a lot of the time, the people who are, have the thought leadership on those issues are Afro-Indigenous themselves, and they're just trying to build bridges between their, their, their different identities. But. It's a great honor to have keynote speaker for this year's National Asian Heritage Symposium. Emily, uh, well, first of all, welcome to Winnipeg. Uh, very, very interesting speech. The times have changed so much, and uh, it's nice to have a young person looking at the world differently. In your, I guess, big view on things, how important is a symposium like this, not only for the older generation, but for the Gen Z, the millennials, and the young ones coming up? Um, I think, first of all, it's an honor <laughs> to have even just been invited to participate uh, in this symposium. It's my first time in Winnipeg, but I haven't been often uh, here often. And uh, whenever I'm here, I get to learn so much from the people here. And so um, if I'm learning, I think a lot of other people would be learning too. Uh, if, uh, if they are here, I think they are learning. And if they're not here, I think they, they benefit from, from being here. Um, there is a lot in um, intergenerational dialogue that um, needs to to be forward if we're going to meet the challenges that are that that we're all facing as as communities um, and um, I've learned a lot from uh, people uh, in older generations who've been doing you know anti-racism work um, in uh, other communities obviously I'm not Asian so in Asian communities I've been I've been I've been learning a lot uh, from them and um, I think as well, if I share my experience, that's obviously not as long. Um, there's also things that are done differently by younger generations that I think makes everyone maybe start and puzzle and think a little bit too. And I think in that dialogue, we, we get to not only just address the issues, but address as well, you know, our organizational cultures and the way we've been doing things differently and what's the worth of uh, each generation's um, way of, of, of organizing. And I think there's there's a lot, in, there's absolutely a lot in that too. So yes, um, coming out, uh, listening to, to elders, but also, you know, taking that space yourself to share your own story. I think it's it's key to, to all of us growing and learning together, for sure. I'm gonna switch it up now women yeah. in general across yeah. the board making our voices heard mm -hmm. especially hard for women of color yeah. and it's like we don't need to re-preach or whatever the things that we need to do what change needs to happen Emily so we have more young women coming to the forefront and doing and partaking in events like this um, I don't think it's necessarily young women that need to change. I think it's everyone around them that needs to make more space uh, for young women. Um, I, I don't know about here, but in my own work, what I've seen is young women wanting to take space. And sometimes, especially uh, with social media and uh, the internet nowadays, uh, facing a lot of violence online and getting uh, discouraged very fast uh, in terms of, you know, it, is it even worth it to speak up? And um, it's not up to them to, I think, develop a thicker skin. I think it's up to everyone around them to not throw so much violence at them for them just existing and having a voice. Um, so I think um, everyone else needs to actually address that issue and make that issue uh, their, their own um, so that we create uh, you know, safer spaces and just like not 
and by safer, I just mean not <laughs> irrationally violent spaces, um, so that young women are are, are taking a more active role in our in our communities, and that they're they're not doing it at a cost that's just inhuman. Such wise words from a young woman. No, <laughs> I'm, that is amazing. Thank you so much, Emily. I know that there's a workshop ready to come yeah. in, and uh, I think that more conversations are going to be had. Thank you so much for inspiring all of us. Thank you for having me. Younger members here may not know the origin of Asian Heritage Month celebration. I have been asked, why Asian Heritage Month? First of all, I'm Asian, and felt deeply how Asians in Canada have been invisible because we have been ignored. We have always been considered mod model minorities. Many Canadians also think Asians mean East Asian. No, not at all. Being the largest continent in the world means that we're very diverse in ethnicity, culture, cuisine, and the way we look, as I can see many of us today. Many of you here are Asian Heritage Month representatives and you know that the month of May give us a chance to showcase who we are. We, or our forefathers, came from somewhere in Asia, but we are Canadians. And I would like to include First Nations because originally First Nations also came from Asia. There's a lot of talent among us, and May is a perfect month to showcase our strength. In 2001, when I tabled the motion in the Senate to declare May as Asian Heritage Month in Canada, I was asked by one senator from the Maritimes, who also tabled a motion to declare Acadian Day, why I asked for a month, and he only asked for a day. <laughs> And my answer was, there are many of us. And now today, there are even more of us. It is an honor and a privilege, and I'm sure you've heard this so much in your life, Senator, but really, truly, Senator Vivian Coy, uh, what you've brought to our community, uh, to my generation, and what I pass down to my children uh, is so amazing and so rewarding. So I know that this event 
makes you feel proud. But when you take a look back, Vivian, and all of the things that you've encountered, the struggles, the hardships, but also the successes, are we making progress? We are making progress, <laughs> however, not enough. <laughs> because yes. when the Asian hate really surfaced, I was very disappointed. I just feel we're making many steps backwards, and we have to work a lot harder. History tends to repeat itself, as we have seen. Vivian, what can we do now? I mean, do we put blinders on, or do we just kind of forge ahead and try to make a better place? We forge ahead. Mm -hmm. We have to. And as I said earlier this morning, we have to insist to everyone in Canada that we're Canadians. doesn't matter what we look like. So we, ha we have rights here. Mm -hmm. and, we, and what is very, very important, build bridges and have allies. But as was mentioned this morning as well, we, no, we don't just ally with, my, with visible minorities. We ally with the mainstream, with the white community. Mm -hmm. Extremely, extremely important. That is how I get a lot of things done. <laughs> and in fact, I know that when I was working, and I worked more than 10 years on amending the national anthem, it was the same thing. I allied with white Canadians. Mm -hmm. And who finally got it completed, got it done, it was Senator Nancy Ruth who took it over from me, and then it was Francis Rankin who put it through the last vote. But now we sing the national anthem in all of us command. So it takes three women to, to get it done totally from three different political parties. Oh, amazing. I think that, if anything, we can all take a page out of your notebook on being all-inclusive. And yes. like you said, your allies are everybody. Yes. Regardless of their color or their culture or their beliefs. Yes. Now let's talk about women in politics. Yes. Where do women of color fit in? Because we still are very underrepresented. Well, you have to put your vote, put your names in, and run. <laughs> that is the absolute basic. If you don't put your name up, if you don't go knocking on doors, you're never going to get there. No. And it's very, very important. Be visible and speak up. And is that your recommendation for maybe a future senator out there? Oh, absolutely. But you know what? The whole system has changed now. Mm -hmm. You apply to go in the Senate. Yes, it's application. You're no longer appointed. Amazing. Yes. And, and so I have a lot of friends who've done that. Some are successful, some not so successful, but you apply for the job. And finally, Vivian, where do you see an event like this growing? Or hopefully maybe we won't have to have an event like this. Hopefully, eventually we won't, but in the meantime, when you have an event like this, invite the white community. <laughs> they should be at least 50%, at least, of this meeting, of this oh, symposium. Right. I don't see them. Very few. No. They need to be there. 
they need to hear what everybody has to say. You are and so that right. would really make a difference. Well, we will work on that for next year. Thank you so, so much for being here. It's made this event so special. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. Otherwise, I wouldn't know about it. <laughs>
Well, you know, I wanted uh, someone young to bring that perspective, and I think she did an excellent job because she's looking at it from through a different lens, mm -hmm. and so in a sense, it uh, created a lot of uh, discussion oh. on the part of people. Yes, yeah. definitely. And then we have Senator Vivian Poi, and she was instrumental in creating the month of May as Asian Heritage Month, and for her to be here must be very important. Well, it is, and. Uh, Actually, uh, Vivian came, uh, I think, in our second year, 20 years ago, and she's come back several times yes. uh, to be part of it, and, uh, you know, she's very supportive. Yes. And actually, her son, Ashley Poi, used to be on our committee here in Winnipeg, so that's why she initially came, but she's been coming back after Ashley left, so... So such a small world, but really, Art, I wanted to take this time to personally thank you because you have been the, I'm going to say it, the poster boy for Japanese wow. Canadians <laughs> across the board. Uh, your work with the Redress uh, for the Japanese, your work here in Manitoba founding this Asian Heritage Society. Right. When you look back at all of your work, Art, I, I shouldn't say how does it make you feel, but... Does that give you hope? It does. Uh, I, I know that uh, one of the things is very difficult to do in, I think, any community. And I think uh, Emily alluded on, you know, there are differences within communities and trying to bring them together could be a task. So bringing other Asian communities together is even a bigger task. But there was a common goal, which was Asian Heritage Month. And, so I initially I contacted the leaders of all the organizations to come to a meeting. Asian Heritage Month is being declared. How can we take part? And so most of the groups uh, bought in and they sent a representative and that's how it began. But we took a different tactic. We had the group made up of different Asian, uh, from different Asian communities actually planned the program. Whereas in some of the centers, they uh, ask different groups to make their own program, yeah. right? It's, so we work collectively, which I think is a lot stronger. So yes. it's been successful. Yes. Yeah. So where are, do you feel this event, these symposiums, I guess, what is your, your real goal that you want to achieve Well, here? the one thing is that although we have all these groups across the country who are doing Asian Heritage Month, we're pretty fragmented. We don't know what each one is doing. There are likely common problems. And so getting them together to talk about these common problems is one of the goals. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, we're, we'll be able to do that on the weekend, so. Oh my goodness, I don't know where you get the time to do everything that you do, Art, but we thank you and we hope that we can just educate others. You know, even if you're not here at this symposium, hearing some of the speakers and interviews hopefully sheds a light on the whole Asian community as a whole. Yeah, so. yeah I think it's so important. And the, and the work that you're doing, too, to yeah. publicize this is great. So. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Oh, <laughs> and he always looks good on camera. <laughs> okay. oh, thank you, Art. Okay, take care. You mentioned about reconnecting because I am reconnecting with my culture myself. Um, my grandpa was actually a residential school, a day residential school survivor. Um, so I currently do not have a spirit name. I don't know what clan I am from, but I am still trying to figure it out. Um, and for me, I am a creative communications student in 
um, University of Winnipeg's joint program with Red River College Polytech. Um, and I'm minoring in East Asian language and culture. Um, so I have been discovering not only my own culture as a mixed indigenous woman, but also I really enjoy East Asian language and culture. Um, I'm taking advanced Japanese. I know some Korean and I know a little bit of Chinese, but I'd say Chinese is probably <laughs> my worst one. But um, I really enjoy culture and representation in media, and that is partially what I want to do when I graduate high school, whether it be, say, with APTN for Indigenous representation, um, or just any type of media. I think representation is really important because it shows you that you have the potential to exist in just space. If you don't see yourself in media, then you feel, you can kind of feel isolated. Once again, welcome back to Hewitt Home, and I have an up-and-coming star, and I say that honestly. I'm gonna call her Jessie, but you have a beautiful name, Jacinta, and the last name? Holagowski. Holagowski. Yes. Now, okay, a mixture of a lot of cultures. Yes. So let's start with Jessie. Who are you? All right, so I guess I could introduce myself in my family's indigenous language. Anin, Kuju, Chisanta, Indishnikas, Anishinaabe, Kwetnin, Kagakwe, Kejewam, Dunji. So, hello, my name is Chisanta. I also go by Jessie. I am an indigenous Anishinaabe woman. My family is from Ebon Flow First Nation, but I was born in Winnipeg. Um, I am indigenous on my mom's side and Polish and Ukrainian on my dad's side. And along with being indigenous, I really enjoy studying East Asian language and culture. So I am currently studying creative communications at University of Winnipeg, joined with Red River College, um, Polytech, and I'm minoring in East Asian language and culture. So, okay, needless to say, the young future is bright. <laughs> Thank but you. But for you, Jesse, be part of this, and we're going to talk about it because you did an impromptu panelist step in, and you were marvelous. And what does this event mean specifically to you to be involved with? I think this event is so important because even though it's the East Asian Heritage Symposium, or not East Asian, just Asian, my bad, but um, it includes a bunch of different perspectives from various cultures. And I think that is extremely important. In the panel, we were talking about the importance of representation. If voices are not showcased and heard, then how do those people who are a part of the BIPOC community, various different communities, how do those people know that their voices are important, that they matter, that they're significant? If you don't have those perspectives, then you essentially erase those people. You erase their culture. Um, so that's why an event like this is so important, especially to me, because I'm so interested in culture. You can learn so much from other cultures and other people's stories, experiences, simply by talking to them, like we're doing right now. Um, I think that is such a monumental thing to just have everyone's voices be heard. And I think that's a part of learning about yourself and a part of learning about others you there is no uh, saying without saying it goes that you are a proponent of the future so Jesse young people like yourselves how much does culture weigh in the way you look or you know what you believe in everything like that 
A hundred percent. It weighs in every area, I would say, of my life. In fashion and makeup, what media I take in and watch, whether it be fiction or nonfiction, watching of the news, the friends I hang out with, what we talk about. Um, I like to say that when you look at someone and you look at just how they look from the outside before even talking to them, based on, say, like if they're wearing like cultural items of clothing or just on how they style themselves, it tells a lot about the person and what they are interested in. Um, and I think, especially with kids who are, or youth who are mixed or interested in a bunch of cultures, if we share different aspects of culture and um, we all, I guess, partake in exploring different cultures, then that kind of spills into other aspects of life and we just get to share all these wonderful aspects of life connected with culture. So I think it's really important in every area. <laughs> Okay, words of wisdom, uh, again, yeah, words of wisdom, and yes, people, we should be listening to people like Jesse. Thank you. Words of wisdom for everybody out there. I think my words of wisdom is just be open-minded to trying new things. There are so many people who like to stay in their comfort zone, not try different food, not try going different places, um, looking into other cultures, and I understand it's very comfortable to stay in your comfort zone. That's why it's called a comfort zone. Um, because you get to have those things that comfort you and soothe you that you're familiar with. However, it may be a little scary to step out of this comfort zone, but in the end, you might find some things that you like. You might end up meeting amazing people, trying different foods, learning about different cultures. And although it's scary to take the leap, once you do that, you just gain so much knowledge and warmth from others because everyone wants to share their story. Um, so by doing that, I think that is my like words of wisdom, is just to try new things and to step out of your comfort zone and get to know about others. Because then you'll learn more about yourself by how you interact with others in that sense. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jesse. Yes. And we will continue here at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. I want to give a very special thank you to all of our guests on today's show, and we'll see you next time on Hue at Home. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. 
and Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.